Hey, Culminators. Welcome to the program. Today we have Drew Holden. Drew Holden is one of the most annoying people on social media. And the reason for that is not what you think. It's not because he does get under the skin of some of the most disgusting people on social media, which is an entirely different thing. It's because of this. Drew Holden, that's our guy. Drew Holden has 153,000 followers. He started in November 2017. That is intolerable. You know how long it took me to crack 10,000? Drew, what are you doing right? I know what you do. One thing I know you're doing right is as you put yourself in your own, as, as you describe yourself in your own profile, you're a maker of threads. Yeah. You have elevated the art of the, of the thread as Twitter essay. Thank you. Where were you until 2017? What happened in 2017 that got you onto Twitter? And how do you see your, your, your mission on social media sure. today? Yeah, so I mean, God, before, before 2017, I, so for a while I worked for a company where I don't think I was supposed to have a social media presence. It was in finance and you know they, they're touchy about those sorts of things. So I wasn't really on Twitter. And then I moved down to DC in 2016 started working on the hill and I was like so long as I'm working for someone else I don't know that I really want to be out here kind of firing off what have you but then I left the hill in 2017 and I went to a, a public affairs firm so PR for, for for politically interested people and clients and what have you and I noticed that a lot of the traffic that I was tracking and a lot of the things that my clients were interested in were all happening on Twitter so I was like well you know I don't think I really love this wasteland but let me put a toe in the water here and see and I'll just use it for tracking, right? I followed a few you're, dozen you're, people. I want to stop you for a second because you're making a very, very important point. Uh, a we, we all say, and we all hear our friends say, Twitter isn't real life. Yes. And the vast majority of people aren't on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And among those who are on Twitter, the vast majority are essentially lurkers. Yeah. So, so what's the value? What's the big, what? no, no, no. Explain why th those questions are, are besides the point. Yes, I agreed. And so I think, you know, one of the things that I found very quickly kind of lurking and perusing Twitter was that an enormous percentage of the conversation happens there, right? If you want to understand what's going on in the world from a political lens, the things that are going to be in the newspaper tomorrow, Twitter, you know, for reasons both good and ill, is more or less your spot to go. It's the place to understand kind of what's what's moving and shaking, particularly in politics. I think Twitter absolutely oversamples politics. And so I realized that pretty pretty quickly. And I, again, I'm lurking. I'm there for my clients. I'm trying to understand what's going on, what have you. Um, and then I, as I'm sure happens to everyone, I got sucked in, right? I got, I got sucked into the muck because I saw well, things. You, got, and I was you like, got sucked in because you're good at it. Well, that would come later, I think. Well, but and you so, obviously had a natural affinity for it because, because we start getting engagement yeah. that is positive reinforcement right the, a, a, the addiction begins <laughs> yeah exactly and so i think you know one of the things that really helped me is i was working as a pr fly right my whole job was to work with the media to spin stories in ways that would be beneficial for my clients or away from my clients altogether and so there's a lot of tips and tricks obviously that go into that uh the kind of the dark art of this stuff but i saw so much of it so so much bad of that on the internet and on Twitter in particular, particularly from reporters and thought leaders and other people. And I was like, this is, this is preposterous, right? And so very, very quickly, I, I, unfortunately I got sucked in, 
I got animated, I got frustrated. And that's kind of where the, the threads were born because I, I felt like for a long time, I was the only person on the website with a memory longer than 24 hours. <laughs> and I would see these things and think, I heard you, I remember you saying the opposite moments ago, like right in, in mountain time, at least moments ago, right? In, in the twinkling of an eye. And that's how the threads were born. And that's how obviously people I think came to, came to confront, interact with, what have you, my, my Twitter presence. And you've grown tremendously. You've grown tremendously. And I suspect without knowing that you are followed by a lot of people who are managing or, ha or, or who are deeply involved in the, the national conversation. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I end up being followed by people who I am highly, highly critical of, either on an individual level or of, of their company or their outlet or what have you. That's, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I mean, that, that's... Will you pledge right now on culmination to only use your powers for good or evil? For good. I, I, I pledge oh, okay. only for I, good. Oh, all right. So I gave you the out there as long as long yeah. as it had to be good or evil. Uh, it, so now that you're here, now that you had this growth, do you take, did, did you notice how all of a sudden you have a different feeling when preparing to use Twitter yes. that you have more, you have to, that you're more accountable mm -hmm. for what you say? Yeah, absolutely, Ron. I think one of the things that I've learned uh, or really realized in the last few months is the number of tweets that end up in my drafts folder rather than sent onto my timeline. The, the, the words, ratio, the, the best, the best tweets, the best yeah. tweets, the best tweets. Once upon a time, I sent my best tweets. Now I archive all of my best tweets, and eventually, I probably delete them. And so, I've definitely noticed that I have, I have needed to fire off fewer takes. And I think one of the other things that I've noticed too is I've also tried to winnow my takes to areas that I think I have some reason, some leg to stand on of saying, I understand this thing. I have some kind of semblance of an idea of what I'm talking about. And so I've tried to really winnow in my takes in the entire universe of politics down to things that are specific and tangible to hypocrisy, particularly media hypocrisy. Uh, because so that's, that's something I think I have a leg to stand on. That, so that's a you've really you've really set up my my, my next uh, segment of questions, which is how do you think of your unique mission? And, and it is, and I noticed this early on, and you know I was an early booster. Uh, yeah. That you really had a great ability. Look, you probably have a very good memory, as I do. People sometimes say to me, "How do you how do you remember? How did you find that?" I'm talking, yeah. remember, I've been on since 2009. Okay? Yeah, yes. Far and longer I, universe. I remember, because I do, I do have a phenomenal memory, for better or for worse, and yeah. I remember keywords. I remember yeah. keywords. Often I don't remember who tweeted it, but if mm -hmm. the tweet is still there, I can find it 90% of the time. But you're doing yeah. a tremendous amount of legwork yeah. putting these threads together. And what I notice is, you know, you talked about the fact that you're so seldom that, that you're followed by many of the people whose hypocrisy or, or inconsistency you um you know you you call them out for you don't i hardly ever see th um tweets in your thread that are 
no longer viewable because those people have blocked you. Right. Yeah. How, that's, how are you managing that? That's, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably right. Um, there are a few, uh, a, a few people oh, who have blocked oh, me. There, oh. Joanne Reed, unfortunately, blocked me. Uh, Rick Wilson blocked me early on. I, I had this an entire a, a thread real, dedicated to him. So this is a real rogues gallery of the absolute worst people. How about Stelter? <laughs> how about Stelter? Stelter still hasn't blocked me. Jennifer Rubin still hasn't blocked me. It's, it's interesting, too, because there are a lot of people she, she who hasn't blocked me either. I'm, she must not be much of a blocker. I, she I, ha I have been fair. I have been cruel, cruel to her because I think yeah. she's I, and why? Because I believe that she is an absolute danger to yes. the Commonwealth. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's there's a couple people who have blocked me, but very few. It's interesting. More often than not, I'll kind of trip over people who have blocked me, not because they're people who I'm, I'm searching for or cataloging or whatever. It's there'll be a back and forth in a, a thread with someone I follow, particularly someone who I follow from the other side of the aisle. And all of a sudden I can't see anything. I'm like, huh, what is this? And then I assume I must have fired off of this person at some point previously. But in a lot of cases, I haven't, right? I'll go back and search through my own tweets. And I've never interacted with this person before. And for reasons beyond me, they've just, they've decided to block me. So, so I do get a lot of that. I figured this out, which is, first I learned about block lists. Mm -hmm. And these are utilized mostly by really radical or really awful people, the very worst. Yeah. But then there are, I realized I will sometimes block someone who, uh, who is, I'm, who I'm observing in a thread who would, in which I may or may not be a participant, mm -hmm. but I can say right now, I don't want to ever see this person in my timeline again for any yes. reason. Right. Yep. And, and, they're, and they're not usually players. They're not, they're not, they're not important people. Yeah. Have you ever interacted directly with any of the people you've criticized? Have they ever tried to straighten you out or asked you to retract something or given you helpful links to say, no, here's what you're missing? Yeah, you know, it's, it's happened to me only a couple of times. I, I can remember them pretty vividly because they're, they've happened so frequently. I did have one extended back and forth with Michael McFall, the former um, ambassador to Russia under President Obama, where he... He and I, I think, didn't see eye to eye about the way I had characterized one of his tweets. We went back and forth for probably a good hour, hour and a half. And at the oh, end of it, I was like, yeah, right. Uh, yes. Across DMs and then a little bit publicly, too. And I, I didn't see his point. I didn't see where it was going. Um, and so that, that was one example of someone who was pushed back and saying, no, what you have said isn't fair. That, that isn't characterized appropriately. Um, probably the weirdest one was a few months ago, I took a shot at the Washington Post because they had they had ran a story. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, it was one of the I, one of the I famous can't hoaxes. Imagine that you could find any hypocrisy at the Washington. I, Post. I know, right? Stunningly, I found something amiss with with the Washington Post reporting. And so I called a story that they had posted in their news section, Straight News, and the editor, one of their global editors for that section, commented and said, "Um, actually, that's news analysis. It says analysis." Oh, at the top. I remember. I remember that. I remember. That. <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, "I am." losing my mind like and that that was one of those moments and they happen sometimes I, I i try and i try and bite my tongue pretty often i think on the internet but there's sometimes where i'm like you can't possibly believe what you are saying right now like you have you have to be able to see this you, you have two eyes and, and hopefully as something close to functioning brain there's no way you buy that this is an appropriate response you know and I, this, said, I, I, I think i said uh, it was in your news section this this piece of information this story was in your news section i don't care if you put analysis up there at the top of it it's in your news section. It's news. You report it as news. The, I, you know, this idea of biting your tongue, 
again, I, you know, which, which we mentioned a couple minutes ago. I, rem I first remember, by the way, culminators, we're going to talk about Twitter this episode because this is this is what this is what brings Drew and me together. And although mm -hmm. the vast majority of my guests are friends I've made on Twitter, and they've got something else going on, and Drew has a, a rich offline meat space life, we're going to talk about Twitter because what Drew does on Twitter in particular, in my view, it puts him in the category of a Mike Cernovich, people who have who have who have uniquely mastered the 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 you know the 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 um the paradigm it, it, well created a new paradigm you know on the medium and and and, and that makes it completely it. relevant to all the stuff that this podcast is supposed to be about because one of the biggest topics of hypocrisy inevitably i'm sure is the issue of all those issues of free speech but i, I want before we get to that I, re I do remember not long after I became, after I got, I got my blue check, which I would have never gotten if not for the fact that I had a, a pending Supreme Court case um, yeah. completely arbitrarily. Um, I re it's when I figured out that I couldn't just get off one-liners at the expense of other blue checks the way I used to, because there are actually people that I realized that there are actually people who check for verified notifications mm -hmm. only. And then yep. all of a sudden I was on their radar and it, right. it, it would have never, it never occurred to me because I, I'm here to rock and roll with everyone. Uh, right. I said, okay. So, I mean, even though I'm not intimidated, but I have to realize things that I thought were never going to be seen are going to be seen. So now with your, with your superpowers, you obviously recognize that as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it does make you more responsible. It does. It does. I think there's, there's a forcing factor there. Of, you know, one of the things that I, that I try and do, and I think honestly, one of the reasons I get blocked so infrequently is that I really do try and be as close to bulletproof as I can, both on threads, the subject of them, what I'm focused on, and then the specific people who I choose to call out on them. Because in almost every case, right, you can only have 25 tweets in a thread. There's always more examples than I need. So I'm, I try and be really kind of is choosy that a, and selective. Is that a rule? You can only have yeah. 25 tweets? Has that always been a rule? It um, can't I, be because threads didn't always exist. Yeah, I, I think it's Maybe relatively it's recent. You can add to it after it posts. But if you're going to post all of them in one go, which is usually what I do, 25 is the top. And I so mean, you really have to have... We have an expression in Yiddish. You have to have plates. You have to have broad shoulders yeah. to, to, to have a thread that long. Although in your case, besides the fact that you do have broad shoulders, you are giving, as you said, countless examples of, and by the way, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with the work, what Drew is famous for is finding a media narrative Ideally, after it has become, after it has been brought into question or disproved or debunked or shown to have been nothing but an agreed upon narrative and bring example after example after example of the consistent, you know, unimedia takes. Um, is it, would that be a fair way of describing yes. at least the classic true Holden thread? Yes, absolutely. That, that's spot on. 
I mean, I guess at a certain point after after the first two dozen, you might get diminishing returns to a certain extent, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> then, then I just load them up. I usually have a couple at the end there that have three or four blue check lunatics who I, I just kind of lump in to, to set the stage. So you're entertaining people on the right. Are you having any effect on anyone else, do you think? That's a good question. So one of the, it's funny, I very rarely get people who I've called out who reply to me in any fashion. But one of the things that I do get pretty often is I get reporters from corporate outlets, outlets usually who I've, I, I've taken down in these threads, who will reach out to me from time to time after and be like, Ugh, yeah, that was bad. I, I don't know why <laughs> we did that one. Or give me like a little bit of the inside gossip and, and kind of inside oh, baseball. Really? And, so, and so that's something that I think I, I really do appreciate. And one of the things that I want to be able to do is I want to be an avenue for those kind of disaffected journalists to come to me and say, and I've had people who have kind of like handed me documents and other things who, who that have been like, this is preposterous, right? I can't write about it. I can't talk about it. I can't tweet about it. You can. And so I'm trying to be a conduit for, for some of the, the inside baseball that goes down on some of that stuff. And that's something I've found to be re really beneficial. And to me, it means that I'm striking a chord somewhere, right? That there are, there's a reason there are these kind of moderate, regular, everyday journalists who are disaffected at the most esteemed publications in the country. And that, that to me means that obviously the thing that I'm doing is resonating somewhere and that there's something there to tap into. I'm sure it is. And, you know, and I know some of these people and some of them are in touch with me from time to time as well. Um, often they want to also, you know, they want to cultivate me because sometimes I'm involved in stuff that they want to know about. Sure. And it's awkward because there really has been this, this um, alignment, this ideological alignment, as well, uh, as well as the sense that you simply can't talk to these people. Is it, I mean, do you, what, what did you study in college? What was your major? So I, I had three, actually, uh, none of which I put to great use these days. I was political science, environmental studies, and Catholic studies. That's what I majored in in college. So no journalism, none of that, no masters, none of that stuff. No journalism means you have a shot at having learned something. I get that. <laughs> yes, right, right. The political science, I don't see how you say you're not using it. Obviously, it, inf Fair. it informs your, I, I will tell you that a lawyer who was very, very close to me and who went to the, the best law school in the country told me that she did not understand. Her background was in uh, you know, the sciences. And until she got to law school, she really didn't know how anything worked. Interesting. And I couldn't relate to that because I was a politics and economics major. And, yeah. and also, but also I'd always been a political junk, politics junkie. I mean, I was sure. reading American yep. Spectator when I was in high school, I, you know, really insufferable. Um, <laughs> But, but here we are, we are, the, we are these people and we're not journalists. You don't, you don't consider yourself a journalist, but we're- I don't we're think so. I go back and forth, but I don't think so. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I, so I will tell you that before your time, back in the blogging days, there yeah. was this big question of what is, as Glenn Reynolds, uh, Instapundit used to always put it, mm -hmm. Journalism, and he might be might have been quoting someone else. Journalism isn't something you are. A journalist isn't something you are. It's journalism is something you do. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And this was, and this is really important because there would be these cases where journalists would be sued for defamation or whatnot, and they would try to, or they would assert um, journalistic journalism shield laws. Yeah. And um, the question was, were they journalists? And right. we're now the twenty first century version of that debate is Project Veritas. Yeah. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And one of the phenomenal things that has, you know, I think, I mean, everyone you and I know is aware of it, but, but Ma and Pa Kettle don't seem to realize that it's happening is, is that there is a war being waged by the establishment media mm-hmm. against independent media. Let's not right. I want to use citizen media, which is a little melodramatic. Sure. Um, and, but, but, you know, First of all, it, and, and I, I had to take a CLE and one of the, I mean, I have to take a whole bunch of CLEs and I yeah. chose a, a media law CLE, which was excellent, given by the PLI, Practicing Law Institute in New York. And there was a session on, you know, these sort of issues. And they were talking about the Project Veritas case. Mm-hmm. And everyone in the audience wanted to snark and cackle about silly old project Veritas the way they, the way they used to cackle about Matt Drudge in the day. Yep. Totally. When he was Matt Drudge. Right. And one of one or more of the panelists who was not politically aligned with, with Ron Coleman by any stretch of the imagination, Mm -hmm. one of these Mm -hmm. media lawyers said, Hey, watch it. Okay. Because they are, they are fundamentally f- fighting for rights that are very important to us. But the right. management of a lot of these places, I mean, look, Project Veritas was raided by the FBI mm-hmm. and the New York Times was riding shotgun. Right. That's right. really problematic. Yeah. In any event, we have this striated, this multi-leveled, um hierarchy of end consumers i mean everyone on twitter who does more than you know more than um you know uh what's it called again Uh, lurk lurk yeah is a content provider even even by retweeting selectively and that i mean obviously the freedom of the press never contemplated that everyone who wanted to be a publisher right. would be a publisher, but here, but here we are now. Right. I'm just astonished that I, I, you know, that you have pulled off what you do given these pressures that come from these massive changes that are going on mm-hmm. um, and, and have managed to stay unblocked. I mean, you know, you just, you just think it's because you're, but again, I might've asked you this before, but why do you think they're, they're, they're letting you get away with it? It's, it's a good question. You know, I think, I think it's probably a couple things. So one is, I think I, I really, won't accept really... the answer that they don't care. I'm not going to accept yes. the answer that they don't matter. <laughs> you won't hear it from me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you, won't, you won't hear it from me in that case. Right. Um, so I, I think it's actually a couple things. So one thing that jumps out to me is that I think I really do bend over backwards to be respectful to people, right? And I think some of that is like, I don't know, that's just kind of my disposition, right? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the like, I, I am a relatively 
I, I don't want to say banal, but like I am a relatively pleasant person by and large, I think even, even to people with whom I disagree. And I really try and toe the line on that. And one of the big reasons is for a long time, I used to work I, you know, up until two weeks ago, I worked in PR. And so I had to be, right? I, I, I had to be, I couldn't be as much of a bomb thrower as, as sometimes I would like to be. And so that I think is a big part of it. Two, I think the other thing, and I, I try really hard to do this, but I really do try to stay on the right side of the Twitter rules even the ones that I disagree with. And so I think it makes it easier for me to float by and not get kind of swapped, you know, swooped down because I am on the right side of what they at least purport to be their rules and regulations. And I'm sure there are times when I slip up or what have you, but, but I'm, I'm usually not deliberately breaking them or uh, doing it kind of to cause a scene, which I think some people do for reasons both good and no. And I so also I, think, noticed, I think you, you don't use, you don't use, um, uh, profanity. I try yeah. not to. That's right. Yeah, I, I really try not to use profanity, which is hard for me. I mean, Ron, I, <laughs> I swear more than anyone I know. Really? I, all, all the time. And my girl, so it, it's funny, obviously, being in, in the pandemic, my girlfriend has experienced me on like a lot of work calls or just like other calls and things. And she's like, I have never seen someone who swears through all circumstances and with all people the way that you do, right? I'm on the phone with my boss. I'm on the phone with a client. It doesn't matter. I'm always swearing. And well, so always on Twitter, well, what a lot, what a lot of people don't know is that many of the most erudite and effectual members of the bar swear like sailors yeah. especially i mean it's not too surprising because there is a machismo in our profession and you know especially in litigation well i think also in the people who do deals yeah it's a way of be of, of you know expressing your assertiveness and your your manliness, but you don't That's do it too right. much on Twitter, which I think is you know is a, is a good call. Yeah, I, and again, because it's it's trying to keep on the right side of of not just the Twitter rules, but I also think like I want maybe too much, but I want journalists to take me seriously, and so what I don't want to do if I'm going to criticize them, because I'm criticizing them because I want it to land, right? When I think about like, what is it I really want to do with this Twitter strip? What do I really want to get out of this? Is I want to have an impact, right? I want to I want to help improve media as much as I possibly can. And to do that, or to even, to even allow myself to sleep at night believing I might be able to one day do that, I they have to take me seriously, right? These people have to look at me and say, he's not just a troll, he's not just a bomb thrower, he's not, he's not just a pedant, right? And so I, I try to, I try and maintain that level of, of presentation. And I think that that also helps me to not get knocked off of Twitter. Now, I also notice, I think that there are certain habitual bad actors, notorious people who are just yeah. such scumbags that you don't even bother with them. You're talking about really the mainstream. You don't bother with Judd Legum or- yeah. A.T. Uh, Rupar? Yeah, A.T. Rupar, right. Yeah. You know, people like, I mean, people who are just hacks yeah. They never have anything. I mean, you're focusing on, and I think this is really important because your your focus is on the the outlets that think of themselves as prestige outlets. Right. And you said you want to have an impact. You can only hope to have an impact on someone or on an institution that believes it has something to lose if they don't improve. That's right. Yeah, I, I think that's that's well put. And one of the things that I, I think also that I, I try and be conscientious of is I if I'm going to criticize a thing, a phenomenon, right, a, a kind of a Twitter moment to make a thread out of, 
I don't want it to be me just tilting at all of the dumbest people on Twitter who echoed something, right? I want there to be some substance there. And there have been a few that I've seen that I've just passed over because I'm like, look, I don't want a thread that's Jen Rubin and Aaron Rupar and a, and a handful of other people who I know are bad actors, right? Judd Legum, all of these guys. Like that's that's not beneficial. And it's also, if that were all it was, right? If if the entirety of the bad takes enterprise were just those people firing off over on the side, well, that would be one thing, right? Like it, it's, to me, it's fundamentally different when you have someone like Jen Rubin pushing something that's objectively misinformation versus the New York Times laundering in the Steele dossier into their reporting and coverage, right? And so I wanna make sure that I'm separating big from small on those things. And to me, when legacy media are the ones who are making these mistakes and, and becoming commentators, that's in, in, you know way more of a threat than anything Jen Rubin could possibly do, even as an objectively bad actor with a really big platform. So, you know, I, I, I mentioned before that there's the, you know, that there's this war against the likes of Project Veritas and other, you know, non-standard journalism out, outfits or investigators. And a lot of them have been forced offline um, yeah. under extremely pretextual ground. I'm on extremely pretextual grounds, people like yeah. my, my, my friend, um, Actually, what if I don't mention them at all because some of them are clients? But <laughs> it does seem that a lot, it seems un unlikely that they're ever going to come back. Right. Unless Elon Musk, I suppose, achieves more. I, I don't really know that that's one of his agenda items in and of itself. I mean, either. Do you, I mean, does it bother you that you want to have an impact and you're not being blocked? And you're focusing on people and institutions that have something to lose. And yet there seems to be so very little in the way of acknowledgement mm -hmm. by these organizations about how much they screwed up. And in fact, they doubled down to such a great extent. Yeah. So does it make, I mean, does it suggest that the strategy that's been, let, let's posit this star chamber, this you know, uh, long virtual table that they're all sitting around and saying, so what do we do with, with, with uh, you know, uh, you know, this guy, uh, Holden, is, you know, what if we actually pretend that it doesn't bother us at all? Just yeah. don't even, don't even, don't even, don't even block it. Yeah. Is, do you see any movement at all? I mean, my wife asked me, maybe you've got an answer to this because you're such a close observer. Why did they, why did the Times and others falling a little bit start reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop? What, why? Yeah. I, know, I know that there was something that, that happened in terms of negotiations in litigation, mm -hmm. but still timing wise, what, any thoughts on, on what made them, even though they didn't acknowledge their former, their former basically censorship of the issue by, by not reporting right. on it, they're reporting on it now. What do you think is it about the, the spring of, 2022 that has made given a green light to that yeah you know it's, it's it's a good question so i think in my in my darker moments when i think about this i think a couple things come to mind one we are far far removed from the election and we're not too too close to the midterms yet i think that one of the reasons they're reporting on it quite frankly is it's lost its punch it's lost its pop right the information is already out there anyone who is interested in the information has probably gotten it by now right i think that's is is is, is, is one of the realities and all of the people who would have resisted the information have been given 
huge license to be able to resist that valuable and important information in a way that if things had been handled differently, we, I think we'd be having a much different conversation. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think, to be honest with you, you know, especially post-Afghanistan, I think that the, the shine of President Biden has okay, fallen Afgan off. Afghanistan meaning the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay. Yeah. So I, I yes, thank you. The, the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. So I think that my, a big part my entire of it, adult life we've been in Afghanistan. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fair. Fair. Yeah. When we uh, when we invaded Afghanistan, I was nine years old. So um, yeah, it's it's it has been about two thirds of my life <laughs> that I've been spent in Afghanistan. Um, but so I think one of the things that 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 has has happened is you've seen more outlets being willing to take more shots at President Biden, because I think his honeymoon period that most presidents, certainly all Democratic presidents get with the media, has worn a thin, and that the withdrawal from Afghanistan rubbed so many people in the media the wrong way. And I think in a lot of ways punctured what a lot of outlets thought of Joe Biden, of this like good and noble guy who like maybe is a bit bumbling, but he's going to do the right thing. I, I think that disappeared. That went up in smoke pretty quickly there. And I think what that, what that meant was you're seeing more outlets who are willing to go after him more aggressively. And I think they, they understand that they're not going to get dinged from their readership by going after a guy who's got an approval rating at what, like under 40%. You know, there's, there's only, there's only so many people you're going to rub the wrong way with this reporting. And so I think that's where there a lot more outlets are willing to step out and, and be critical. I think you're right about the timing in terms of being as far away from elections or from moments yeah. that matter as basically it could be. I, I want to suggest a sort of conceptual possibility, which which may very well be just another template on what you're describing, which is that there is always an inherent tension. We learn in political theory, actually, or in economics as well, uh, in game theory, that any cartel is, a, there, there's always a great incentive for any member of a cartel to cheat. Yeah. And in fact, the more effective the cartel is, the greater the rewards for the individual cheater, the first mm. one to cheat gets away mm -hmm. with it. And when there's a cartel on information, yeah, th the, the payoff for breaking that cartel can be magnificent. And I hearken back to the way the Times pursued the, um, you know, the um, Bill Clinton uh, White House uh, Oval Office story with uh, that woman mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. now the times was much more politically centrist than it is now yeah. back in those days but there still was a question among activist republicans such as myself why I mean, why are they going after bill clinton he, he would yeah. seem that you would think he's their kind of guy and the answer was that they're still notwithstanding their political orientation there was still this journalistic sense that this is we make our money by breaking stories by well, that's not as true now they don't make their right. money by breaking stories they make their right. money by reassuring their base of all kinds of things but still yeah. there's a, a residue of that yeah and you know this is a you know they get to do it it's relatively safe now yeah and they can still even though if, even if they're not going to come to a reckoning Right. Over the, you know, the negligence, you know, it wasn't negligence, over the decision to ignore it. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, P remember PB, uh, you know, what, what was it PBS? NPR. No, NPR. 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 We're not, we're not going to waste our listeners and readers' time with a story that isn't a story, was what because, their calm shot about. Because NPR, so many 
so many things at NPR are life are absolutely <laughs> critical to everyone's yeah, right. life of all apples. <laughs> right. And then Ann Applebaum picking that right up last week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, but I, I, why, why would my readers be interested in that? Believe yeah. it or not, we have, we have chewed up, uh, you know, as much time as most people want to hear us talk about this, I think. <laughs> Drew, you mentioned two weeks ago, you, you're no longer employed at the same place you were. Uh, you, made, you made an announcement. I assume that those things are related. You're now full-time with the Washington Daily, Free Beacon. The Free Beacon. The Free Beacon. No, I was right. going to say yep. Daily Beacon. Yeah. So starting starting on Monday, actually, be my first day there, moving over full-time. I've done a little bit of freelance work for them. I've actually got one more piece I'm finishing up in the next couple of days. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be starting on Monday writing, running a beat based on media and media hypocrisy. That's, a, that's fantastic. It's exactly what it should be. Is it going to, how often is the comma going to be printed? It's a good question. <laughs> we, we've still, we've still, yeah, printed. We've, we've still got to figure out what timing and everything else looks like. I think there's going to be, I'm definitely going to keep doing some of the, obviously the threads aren't going anywhere. The threads will still be a, a cornerstone of all that, that I'm was... doing and all that I'm writing. Um, I'm also be, going to be doing some long form pieces. And then one of the things I'm going to try and experiment a lot with, particularly in the next couple of weeks is how could I do more of the quick hitters, right? Have, have kind of quick sound bites and quick moments um, so that I am getting in people's inboxes frequently, if not daily close to it. It's not part of your work now to pick up the phone and, well, these days, first we DM someone, but you know, <laughs> to have a conversation with someone and pick their brain right. uh, about something, is that something that you could see yourself doing? Yes, definitely something that I'm planning to do a lot more of. Sound like you're having a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, around the whole, the, 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 the threads, the Twitter presence, all of it, it's been a labor of love where I've invested 10 or 20 hours a week on top of a 40 to 60 hour a week job and just kind of made time for it when I can. Uh, and now it's going to be the sort of thing that is occupying my my actual mental working hours. And I'm, I'm that's really fantastic. That. You're, you're, you're to be envied, is, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, look, Twitter is a lot more fun when you know that anytime you hit the notifications button, there yeah. are notifications. <laughs> yes, absolutely fair. That's right. Good, bad, or indifferent. And unlike you, I'm not nearly as nice. And you know, I. I <laughs> And I, you know, I, I cannot, I don't resist as often as I ought to. And it's part of the fun that I have. And I do pick on, sure. I do dunk on pathetic people, but, yeah. and, but, and the reason I do, it's because I, it's, it's you, you know, your wife, or your girlfriend, what, listen, let, let that guy just drive by. Okay. We don't have, you know, yeah. no, no, no. He has to be taught a lesson. I have to I have to teach him not to cut people off like that. I'm I'm going to be the enforcer of yeah. Route 33. So, <laughs> you know, there's a famous cartoon. You know, I, I I'm coming to bed soon, but there's still someone wrong on the who's wrong on the internet. You know? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's ridiculous, but whatever. It, I think it. I you know, my friend Adam. Um, uh, Adam, who's my friend Adam? Why am I so bad with names today? Adam Townsend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Says that we don't guys like him and me and i think also you can stake out positions that are absolutely contrary to political correctness on twitter and not get banned because we understand how to work within a system yes. and and, yep, and if, right. what's funny is sometimes i'll use a word or a phrase that people think i'm going to get banned for and they actually think i haven't thought about it very deeply which is a mm. big mistake and then I realized that Twitter knows that I know that Twitter knows yeah. that I know. 
that what I'm doing is a-okay and in fact is good for them and good for me. Yeah, and, totally. And, ho- and hopefully, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that there have, there have been continued outrages, yeah. banning-wise, I think things have gotten a little bit better since Jack left, don't you? Knock on wood, I, I do too, yeah. I, and one of the things that I can't help but think is it seems like they are receptive in some ways to the public blowback that they get. And when there is this big, you know, cry foul, that it does seem to move the needle the next time. At, at the risk of overstating. Yeah, no, I don't think you're overstating it. I think it's quite reasonable. Everybody, you're already, I'm sure, enjoying Drew's threads on Twitter, and you're going to be enjoying him in the Washington, again, there's too many adjectives here. Free, <laughs> free beacon. beacon. Washington hey, free I- beacon. I want to put the word daily in there. There's no daily. <laughs> no way, daily. No daily. Washington Free Beacon. And Drew, great talking to you after all this time interacting with you on Twitter. And hopefully yeah. we'll, we'll meet in person in the near future. Thanks so much for coming Absolutely. on and culminating with us. Pleasure's mine, Ron. Seriously, thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.